Man, what a day, what a time to be alive. And uh, man, I gotta, I gotta say, I am thrilled to see so many of you guys here in the building today. You should just put your hands together for yourselves because you showed up, you're here. Well, I'm so, so thrilled. I want to take just a minute to welcome. We have some friends joining us online from all over the world. We have friends in France that are tuning in, Brazil, and in Greece. We want you to know we see you. Come on, Victory Church. Let's welcome our friends. So, hey, I don't know if you uh, missed last Sunday, but we had a dear friend of the house, uh, Pastor Dan Leanne. He came and brought a phenomenal word. You guys enjoy that word. If you, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and check it out online. But today, we're going to be jumping back into our Sermon on the Mount series, where since the month of February, uh, we've been unpacking the amazing manifesto of Jesus to the masses that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a very unique series because this isn't one of those series where we're just preaching four messages and then on to the next one. We're unpacking this Sermon on the Mount for the next few months going into the fall. And it's very intentional that we're doing that. Because how many of you know the world we live in right now, there's a lot going on. We're facing challenges now that are unprecedented in our nation. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, Jesus is just rapid fire teaching all these principles about the kingdom of God and how we should respond to the gospel. But after preaching this whole message, look at what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. I don't know about you, but when the storm comes and when it passes, I want to know that my house was built on the rock. Anyone else today? Come on, 11 o'clock. Is there anyone today you want your house to be built on the rock? So that's why we're in this series. And we've been touching on great, great, great topics uh, amidst this message. We've talked about being peacemakers. We've talked about being kind. Uh, we've talked about mercy. Uh, we just wrapped up a series on sexuality and identity. But today, look at your neighbor say, but today... Today, we're hitting a big one, y'all. Y'all ready for it? We're hitting a big one. Today, we're talking about loving your enemies. Don't clap yet. <laughs> loving your enemies. And so, uh, man, I'm going to be honest. This is probably the toughest message I've ever preached in the years of doing ministry. But I believe today that God has a word for you. God has a word for me. And we're going to walk away impacted and changed. Amen? Hey, let's just pray for God to do something powerful today. Y'all ready? Dear God, help! <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at what Jesus says in this particular segment of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Help us, Lord. <laughs> and if anyone wants to sue you <laughs> and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I just lost about half of you in the room right there. <laughs> I'm in my pockets now. He goes on to say, you've also heard that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the righteous as well as on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. If you can't say amen, just say ouch. And you got to pause right here because when you hear a teaching like that and you hear a challenge like that, I, I know the first thought, at least for me, it comes to my mind, the first question is this. What about justice? How do we hear a teaching like this? And how do we not talk about justice? Is Jesus implying that we're supposed to just sit silently concerning issues of the sex-saturated society that we're living in right now? Are we supposed to just sit back on the sidelines and just deal with racial injustice? Are we not supposed to be vocal about civil unrest or, or all the other wickedness that's happening in the world? I mean, could you imagine for just a moment Peter hearing this teaching for the first time? Because y'all know Peter was a thug. <laughs> Peter was from the south side, y'all, like. Or the east side, depending where you're from. But Peter was like thug. He was cussing people out. Chopping off ears. Like, Peter was kind of like some of y'all, like, holy but still kind of hood. You know? Right? Like, you can pray for me, but baby, don't play with me. <laughs> but seriously, hear, hear me today, church. Should we all just sit back and pretend like life is peachy? as if there's not hardship in the world, as if there's not injustice in this world, should we just ignore the fact that there's war happening all around us? My friend, I don't believe that that's what Jesus was implying. I don't. In fact, the fact that Jesus said to love your enemies, the fact that there's even an enemy in the equation indicates that we are in the middle of a war. Come on, there's a war going on outside no man is safe from. And hear me, the war looks different depending on the day of the week, depending on what you're dealing with, what you're going through. Sometimes the wars that we fight are, 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 are wars against lofty demonic ideologies and agendas straight from the pits of hell. Come on, have you ever been in a season of warfare where you're fighting for breakthrough, you're fighting for God to move on your behalf. Sometimes the war is monumental like that. Other times, the wars are petty. 
Sometimes you're just fighting a war with Karens at Walmart. <laughs> and while we're on the subject of Karens, <laughs> let me go ahead and set the record straight. Black people and brown people, my people, listen, we need to stop assuming that the word Karen only applies to angry, middle-aged white women. Because I ran into some of y'all on aisle 16 at Walmart last week. Listen, the spirit of Karen can come upon anybody. Whether you're white, brown, black, green, something in between. Stop it. Stop, Stop being mean. You're like, I ain't no Karen. Well, you might be a Kareem, but I don't know. But hear me, church. Whether the war you're fighting is monumental or minuscule, whether the war is political or petty, whether the war is over ethics or over antics, I've come to Victory Church, Norcross Campus, to remind someone today that whatever the war may look like, we have got to be a people who never forget that the struggle that we fight is not against flesh and blood. Come on, it is against the rulers, it is against the authorities, the principalities, the powers of darkness that we can't even see. So let's not be foolish, let's not be ignorant to the enemy's devices. There is no denying the fact that we live in a broken world with hurt people who in turn hurt people. But we gotta remember that as believers, the war that we fight is not physical in nature and neither is the enemy that is waging that war against you. You see, when dealing with enemies, we can't be carnal-minded, y'all. We can't. Not, not as believers, we don't have that luxury. When it comes to us and our dealings and interactions with enemies, we've got to be a people who aren't carnal-minded, but who are kingdom-minded. We must be a people who lead out of love. And hear me when I tell you, church, hear me. What I'm talking about right now is not easy. Can I get an amen from somebody? This is not easy. This is challenging. In fact, most theologians and most Christians and even most unbelievers alike would probably agree that this is the single most difficult teaching that Jesus put into the earth. But I'm crazy enough to believe God at his word that if Jesus said it and if we saw him do it, then by the power that is in his spirit, you and I can do the same. Come on, do you believe it today? Come on, is there faith in this room? All right. All right, so if y'all are ready, let's get into it. I want to give you three truths today that will help you be a people who lead in love. If you're ready, let's say, let's go. <laughs> Number one, love does not retaliate. Love does not retaliate. Jesus kicks off this teaching by saying this. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We're going to break this whole passage down line upon line, precept upon precept. I don't want to miss nothing. Listen, Jesus said that you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So the question then is, well, who is Jesus? What is Jesus? Who said that? Who said it, Jesus? <laughs> and so what you will find in the Gospels, whenever you 
flip through the red letters, you'll find many times where Jesus and even uh, the apostles, those who sketched most of the New Testament, oftentimes they would make references in their teaching pointing back to Levitical law. And this is what Jesus is doing here. In fact, let's go all the way back to the book of Leviticus, all right? Yes, Leviticus, chapter 24, verse 19. Listen to the, 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 the original text here. It says that anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person, it must be paid back in kind. Now, let's be honest. All my petty people out there, you're like, boom, well, there it is. <laughs> God gave me these hands so I can throw them, boo-boo. <laughs> you can catch these prayers and catch these hands. No, Kareem, that's not what we're talking about. Stop it. No, if you're not careful, you will miss what Jesus was actually saying in this moment as he pointed back to the law. You see, what Jesus is doing in this moment, watch me, church, he's honoring the letter of the law, but he's showing us the heart of the law. You see, the problem with a lot of us as believers, a lot of times while we battle with religion and, and uh, religious spirits and, tra and tradition and how things always were is because we get so hung up on the letter of the law that we totally overlook the spirit of the law. And whenever Jesus was referencing this Levitical law from 400 years earlier, you have to understand the cultural context. You see, before God gave this law to his people, there was no moral code. There was no holy law for which the people of God to, were able to abide by, were called to abide by. It was like the wild, wild west. Y'all with me? So whenever offense came, there was no limits on how a person could or should or would respond to that offense. There was no limit on restitution. So when you live in a land with no law, then that means there's also no limit on the retaliation. It's just no holds barred. The smallest offense, and I can rain fire on you. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this movie. It became really popular a few, actually about a decade ago, nine years ago. It's a film called John Wick. <laughs> now, I don't endorse or condone this movie at all. Please don't go home and throw it on for family movie night, okay? Don't do that. Please don't do that. But in this film, the story, just brief, I'll give you a brief synopsis of the story. Basically, this guy is a mercenary. He's an assassin. And he's, he's done assassin things for his whole life. Finally, he finds this young lady, and he falls in love, and she's sweet. She's everything that he's not. And he falls in love, and he wants to leave this life of assassinry. I just made that word up, by the way. <laughs> totally made that up. But we'll go with it. He's ready to just leave this whole life, and he wants to marry this woman, and he has to do all this stuff in order to leave, and he, he, he finally leaves that life behind him. He marries this young lady. They live out in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, a quiet life. He buys this beautiful vehicle that he loves, an old vintage car, but then his wife gets really sick, and she begins slowly passing, and then after she passes away, he receives a gift that she sent before she passed, and it was this little cute beagle, a little puppy, 
And this puppy became a symbol to him of the love that he had for his wife. So he drives all, all he does, he spends his days just driving in his vintage vehicle with his little puppy in the car. He loves that puppy. Well, through a series of events, these mob guys bust into his house one night. They rob him. They steal his car and they kill his puppy. Now, I know this is getting, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> and so what happens is, them killing his puppy brings this man out of retirement. <laughs> and five movies later, <laughs> this man is shooting, punching, kicking, fighting, exploding everything. And when they ask him, why are you doing this? His response, you stole my car <laughs> and you killed my puppy. <laughs> right? Crazy. What we're talking about right now is anti-John Wick theology, okay? <laughs> We don't function like that. So, so let me bring it from John Wick all the way back to Leviticus. <laughs> what God is saying in his word, when he says an eye for an eye, I want you to hear me. He wasn't saying that if someone offends you, it's now a green light to make fire rain down upon them. Now that you've been offended, you can damage everyone that's ever hurt you in the biggest way possible. No, in fact... God was saying the opposite. He was saying to his people, listen, an eye for an eye. He's saying to his people, listen, bro, if homeboy steals your sandals, that's not reason to go cut off his feet. <laughs> he just owes you a pair of sandals. The law was meant to help us understand, hey, if your employee doesn't show up for work, that's not reason to throw his family in the streets. He simply owes you an extra day of work. Come on, if someone steals your car and kills your puppy, call the cops and go to Petland. You'll be all right. You'll be straight. Church, do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, an eye for an eye. I've had it wrong for so many years. It wasn't until I took a deep dive. The, the idea of an eye for an eye, it was never meant to be a threat, saying that you hurt me, so now I'm going to make it rain fire on everyone in your vicinity. It wasn't so much a threat. It was meant to actually be a throttling. A throttling back to say, hey, I realize that they hurt you. And I realize that you want to make them pay 10 times over. But what I require is just an eye for an eye. Just a tooth for a tooth. It was never meant to be a threat. It was actually a throb. That's what justice looks like. It was never meant to be liberty and freedom to just go all out. The point of this law was simply to bring some resolve to the conflict in an effort to end the cycle of revenge. Are y'all with me today, church? But again, look at what Jesus does. He honors the letter of the law by exposing the spirit of the law. He goes on in verse 39 to say this. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, can we just pause right there for a moment? Because I need y'all to feel that. Listen, I don't know what your mama used to tell you when you were growing up. But my mama had a few words she would say often. She would say to me, I don't care what your friend said. <laughs> I don't care what your 
brother or your sister, I don't have to Tom care what your daddy said. What did I say? <laughs> Some of you told your kids that last night. What did I say? I want us to feel it for just a moment. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, and I got to ask again, how do you read those words, but I tell you, because how you read those words will determine how you respond to those words. Because if you read it as if God is making a suggestion, then you're going to live your life thinking that Jesus made a suggestion that you can simply consider. But if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, come on, if you've been walking with God for any amount of time, and if you are submitted and surrendered to his lordship, then the words that precede, the words that come forth after this statement are some of the most revolutionary, countercultural commands that Jesus ever gave. He said, but I tell you today to turn the other cheek, to give them your cloak also to go the second mile. Don't resist. Don't fight an evil person. So you may say today, well, I thought the law said not to. I thought the law said that it was okay for me to kind of ladies' hands, maybe. <laughs> Isn't that what it said? But now Jesus is saying, but I tell you, is he contra? No, 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 no. Jesus is not contradicting the law. Hear me. In fact, just a few moments prior in the very same message, Jesus made it very clear, baby. I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come so that the law would be fulfilled. In fact, let me, let me double down on that. The, the, the apostle John, at the very start of his gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 1, what did he say? He said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hear me, you can't abolish that which you embody. So Jesus wasn't abolishing the law. Again, what Jesus was doing in this moment, and it's absolutely key, hear me church, he was affirming his word, but he was also calling us beyond the minimums of the law, and he was empowering us to live to the maximums of love. Not the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. Give them your cloak. My God, can I tell you, church, this is not your typical patty cake gospel that you hear all around the nation, sadly, in this hour. It's not. This is challenging. This is counterintuitive for everything that you and I have been taught in this nation. In this time of history, this is hard. And just when you thought it could not get any harder, here's my second point. <laughs> not only does love not retaliate, but love repays evil with kindness. Some of y'all are ready to leave right now. I don't even like victory. <laughs> don't leave. I'm just the messenger, y'all. True love returns evil, I'm sorry, responds to evil with kindness. Because at the end of the day, what good is accomplished by fighting evil with evil anyways? I mean, what are we doing here? It's just a cycle that goes on 
and on and on. You don't win. I don't win. You end up hurt. I end up hurt. And on and on it goes. At some point, truth and love has got to make its way into the equation. I love the story about the uh, atheist professor. Some of you probably heard this story before. He's this narcissistic professor, atheist, doesn't believe in God, hates the construct of religion, and every single semester, he has this thing. He loves to try to debunk Christian belief. So he kicks off the semester by literally saying, hey, are there any Christians in this room who'd like to identify themselves? <laughs> and as one freshman raised his hand and stood up, he said, I'm a Christian, sir. So the professor said, stand to your feet. Do you believe in God? Well, yes, sir, I do. Okay. Well, do you believe that your God is a good God? Well, yes, sir, absolutely. Okay. Do you believe that your good God created everything? Absolutely, sir. Okay. Well, do you believe that there's evil in the world? Surely, when you look around, you see racism, you see hate, theft, war, lying, deceiving. Like, do you believe that there's evil in the world? And the young man said, yeah, yes, sir. The professor then says, well, who do you think is the author of the evil in the world? Well, it's the devil, sir. Oh, the devil, the professor responds. Huh, interesting. Isn't the devil a created being? And the room gets silent. And the freshman takes a step back. He doesn't know how to respond. And then in that moment, the professor says, son, answer my question. How could your God that is so good also be the author of that that is evil? Answer me, son. How could a good God also be the author of all the evil that is in the world? Do you have an answer for me? And the student said, no, sir. And he sat down, utterly defeated, utterly humiliated. But then in the back of the room, there's a senior that lifted his hand and said, uh, Professor, can I ask you a question? <laughs> he stood up. He said, Professor, do you believe that cold exists? The professor said, well, absolutely. What kind of dumb question is that? It's cold outside right now. The student goes on to say, well, actually, sir, I think you're wrong. Because according to the law of physics... Objects or organisms are only susceptible to study when they either transmit or whenever it contains heat energy. Heat, by the way, is something that we can measure. Cold, however, is unmeasurable. Because in reality, cold is just a term that we use to describe the absence of heat. The professor looked at the student. He said, what, do you, what are you getting at? The senior said, oh, pr 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 Professor, I have just, just one more question, just one more. He said, do you believe that darkness exists? The professor said, absolutely, darkness exists. This is a silly question. We need to get on with class. The student said, oh, well, Professor, I believe that you are again wrong, sir, with all due respect. Darkness does not exist either, but light does. He said, Professor, actually, light is an element that we can study. In fact, we can take light and put it through uh, Newton's prism, thus splitting white light into various colors. We can then take those extracted colors and we can study their various wavelengths. 
But you cannot do the same with darkness. He goes on to say, Professor, in fact, you can take a simple ray of light and it has the power to penetrate and to illuminate a world, a room, a world full of darkness. But yet, there's still no way to measure what you call darkness because like heat, darkness is just a term that we use to describe what happens when light is not present. The class begins chuckling and snickering under their breath. He goes on to say, in the same way that the cold that comes when there is no heat and the darkness that comes when there is no light, evil in the world is simply the result of what happens when man does not have the love of God in his heart. Come on, senior. Come on, man of God. You may say today, well, that's an inspiring uh, story, Pastor Kerbin, but what does that have to do with me loving my big head neighbor? <laughs> my friend, it has everything to do with you loving your neighbor and your enemy. Because let me tell you today, just as heat is to the cold and just as light is to the darkness, love and love alone has the power to eradicate hate in this world. Love has the power to drive out all fear. Where there is perfect love, there can be no fear. Perfect love. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said. His famous quote, he says, returning hate for hate only multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And in the same way, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Simple as that. Jesus said, you've heard it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Can I tell you something? That kind of love, it hits different. That, mm -mm. <laughs> That's not normal love, y'all. That's not the earthly love that is based upon merit and performance. That's not the type of love that the world gives. Like my grandmama used to say, if the world can give it to you, the world can take it from you. This isn't the type of love that we find in earthly relationships and earthly interactions. This is the perfect love, the reckless love of God that we just sang about a few minutes ago. It takes the reckless love to make the difference in a scared world. I said this in prayer yesterday. A fearful world is in need of a fearless church. And there can only be a void of fear where there is an increase of love. Amen. Romans 5.8, here's what that love looks like, just to put it in context. Romans 5.8, we're told here that God demonstrates his own love for us. Here's, here's how God demonstrated his love for you. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Come on, can I say it again for the people in the back? Can I say it again for my people in Greece? The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I don't know about you, 
But whenever I imagine Jesus hanging on that cross, beaten, bruised, naked, humiliated, Isaiah de declared that, that his body was broken beyond human recognition. And whenever the Savior was on the cross, you were on his mind. And in my mind, I would like to think, John, I would like to think that whenever Jesus saw me in his, in, his, in, in his mind's eye in that moment, I would like to think that he saw me standing on the stage proclaiming the gospel. I would love to think that he would see me at home being a loving father to my children. I would hope that he saw the best version of me loving my wife. But the reality is this. When God saw me in that moment, he didn't see me at the pinnacle, at the peak of my Christian journey. He saw me as a drug addict. He saw me as a man far from God. He saw you at your lowest point. He didn't see you sitting in your seat at Victory Church on Memorial Day weekend. He didn't see you doing all the great things you're doing for the kingdom of God, serving and giving. He saw us at our most broken, lowest place, and it's in that place of brokenness that God still thought you were worth dying for. He saw you at your lowest, most rebellious, most arrogant, most broken place, and yet he chose mercy over judgment. Mercy over judgment. And here's the thing. We sing the song about the reckless love of God and how it chases me down, fights till I'm found, and you leave the 99. then shame on us for not taking that same love and sharing it with the world around us, sharing it with the enemies in our lives, those who oppose us. You see, the stronghold of retaliation, these walls that we build with bricks made of bitterness and mortar, made of resentment, it keeps our hearts contained. And the sinful nature on the inside of us, it, 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 it gives us this drive and this urging to want to make them pay. This drive to, to hurt them the way that they hurt us. This desire to see them get what they deserve. But my family, how quickly we forget the grace of a good God. How quickly we forget the mercies that God has made new towards us every single morning when we wake up. A grace and a mercy that did not make you pay for your transgression. That did not hurt you the way that you and I have hurt others. That did not cause you to receive that which you deserve. Come on. Is there anyone in this place who is grateful for the mercy of God? Don't make me preach this morning, y'all. The mercy of God. We forget sometimes the depths at which Jesus found us. We get a few years under our belt walking with the Lord. We forget that we were broken, alienated from Christ, enemies of the cross, of the cross, enemies of God. But because of his loving kindness, he meets us where we're at. He carries us to the king's table. He sits us 
in the presence of kings. Jesus says, you love your enemy. You pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Again, line upon line, precept upon precept. Jesus is saying that your legitimacy as a child of God is not just solely tied to your attendance at church. I'm glad you're here, but don't play yourself. Jesus is saying in this moment that your spiritual birth certificate is not stamped simply because you serve on a team. Simply because you show up and you, or, or you give to a cause. It's awesome that you believe in God. But the Bible says that even the demons in hell believe and tremble. So no, I'm sorry. I thank God that you have this belief in who God is. But can I tell you something? Your belief alone is not enough to draw men and women to Christ. And everything I just said is important. Hear my heart. It is good that you believe. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, come on, somebody. He is faithful to forgive. It is good that you show up to church. It is good that you serve on a team. It is good that you are obedient and bringing your tithe to the storehouse. But can I tell you, you are proven to be legitimate and mature children of God by how you treat people, especially those who mistreat you. That's how, that's how the world will tell us apart. That's how the world will tell us apart. It's hard. It's not easy. That's why you can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we cannot white knuckle the assignment of loving our enemies. You'll be white knuckling it, and the next minute you're putting them knuckles upside their head. <laughs> you can't do it. Apart from the grace of God, we can do no good thing. We need the power of the Spirit. Look at what Paul, how, how, how he lists out the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? And self-control. And watch this. And against such things, there is no law. Listen. If we are truly going to love our enemies the way Jesus has not suggested us to do, but as he has commanded us to do, we need every single fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives. Listen to me. Every single one. Not just the joy. Not just the patience. You need every single one. Like, listen. Put all of it in a, in a blender, Jesus. Make me a smoothie, Jesus. I need every single fruit of the Spirit to do this thing. We can't do it on our own. And here's what else I love. Here's what I love. While we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, so I want you to hear this. Holy Spirit, help me. I love that the Bible refers to these gifts of the Spirit as fruit. You ever thought about that? It's, it's called, they're called fruit of the Spirit, not demands of the Spirit. Because if it was a demand of the Spirit, that means that you would have something to do with it. 
That means that you would have to produce and conjure up strength to produce the fruit. It's, no, no. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So what that tells me is that if the Spirit of God dwells inside of me, and if I'm really intentional in spending time with him, and I'm in his word, and my ear is to his heart, and I'm not just skipping over the hard scriptures, and I'm not picking and choosing what parts of scripture I want to abide by, but when he's really the Lord of my life, then this tells me that he, by his spirit, will begin transforming me from the inside out. And watch me, and these gifts, the patience, the self-control, the love, the gentleness, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, I think that's all of them, maybe not. <laughs> but listen to me. But those things, those gifts, they will become the result, the byproduct. Hear me, church. They will become the overflow, the fruit that is shown externally, bearing witness of what God is doing internally. It's not up to you to white-knuckle the practice of loving your enemy. It's up to us to just believe God at his word. What does his word say? Listen, Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Come on, did you catch that? That's good news for me. That I don't have to figure it out on my own. The Spirit of God is working in me to give me not just the power to do it, but also the desire to do everything that he's called us to do. Y'all with me, church? Here's my last thought as I wrap this time up. If we're truly going to live a life leading in love, we must remember love does not retaliate. Love repays evil with kindness. And here it is. Just breathe. Love receives a reward. Come on, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen, God don't call us to hardship. There's not joy on the other side. There's joy on the other side. Jesus says this. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors do that, right? If you, if you greet only your people, then what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Jesus is saying, like, <laughs> that's just simple courtesy. That's just being a nice human being. Some of y'all need to work on just that part. <laughs> just work on that. We'll get to the enemies later. Work on that. <laughs> right? And then look in the gospel according to Luke. Watch this. Luke says in chapter 6, verse 35, he says, but love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. He says, your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. You know, I read a passage a minute ago that talked about how God causes the, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. We've all heard that before. And if we could be honest, a lot of times we use that scripture to speak about hardship. Well, you know, it rains on the just and the unjust. Part of that is true. But we often forget about the sun. 
He said, it rains on the just and the unjust, but watch this. He also said, I also am a God who causes the refreshing sunlight to rise on those who are righteous and also those who are wicked. He's a good God. He's faithful. There's a reward for being a person that sows love. Can I just tell you today, one of the things two and a half years ago, whenever we moved to Atlanta to join the greatest church on planet Earth. That's right, two and a half years ago, the greatest, I love our church. I love this church. I love, I love this house. And one of the things that moved my heart and my wife's heart when we walked up in front of that globe was watching all the diversity, all the nations represented. I mean, just, just look around real quick. Y'all look like a box of Crayola crayons in here. Like, look around. Like, like you should put your hands together just for yourself. You look, you look wonderful. You look like that box of ice cream with the different flavors in it. Got some chocolate, got some vanilla bean. I'm gonna stop there, I don't know. <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant, so I don't really know all the flavors. But I love it. Over 144 nations under one roof and under one name. Y'all, this isn't normal. This is what heaven looks like. There are some, like, like I want you to understand, when we get to heaven, we're going to be straight. Like, we've been doing this. Like, <laughs> there's some people, they've kept the racial lines so firm, and you stay with your people, I'm going to stay with mine. They're going to get to heaven and be struggling. I don't want to be here, Jesus. <laughs> no, we're going to get to heaven. We're going to be straight, Victory, because we got a piece of heaven right here on earth. We got a piece of heaven in Norcross, in Hamilton Mill. <laughs> I love my church. I love my church. And listen, and, and, and my son, my, my middle son, Legend, he goes to school, and he came to me a couple months ago. He said, Daddy, I want to tell you about my friend group. I said, well, when I was a child, we called them homies, but okay, <laughs> friend group. <laughs> he says, well, Dad, I have six people in my friend group. He says, I'm black, and I'm Mexican, and I'm Indian, so I'm just a little bit of everything. I have a friend that's German. I have a friend that is Irish. I have a friend that's Dominican. I have a friend that's Korean. She don't even speak English, Daddy. <laughs> I bet. And there's another one. I forget the other one. But anyways, he says, and that's my friend group. And can I tell you, diversity is a beautiful thing. It's a dream. This is a dream. When you look at what we've been through as a nation, this is a dream. But so often we forget that the dream we now live in, it came at a great cost. I'm reminded of the civil rights movement. In the mid to late 50s, segregation was at its peak. Brutality and violence was, oh my God, happening against people of color. But in the middle of that carnage, there were two prominent voices that emerged. One was named Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and one we know as Brother Malcolm. All right, stick with me here. Both of these men were leaders in the civil rights movement. They both wanted equality for African-Americans. They were both educated men. 
with educated spouses. They were both very powerful communicators and mobilizers of people. They both also spent time in jail because of their beliefs. They both sketched letters from their jail cell about the struggle, about the journey. They both protested in the streets. And sadly, both of these men were assassinated at the age of 39. I turned 39 this year. And although these two men were fighting the same fight, listen to me, Victory. They fought with two different weapons. They fought the same fight differently. Martin was against the segregation of whites and blacks. Malcolm wanted blacks to be completely independent of whites. Martin protested nonviolently while Malcolm fought using violence. Martin was the son of a pastor. Malcolm's father was actually lynched by an angry mob when he was six years old. Martin was a follower of Jesus, but Malcolm was not. And I want you to hear me when I say this. Hear me, because I, I battled even going here today. I'm not downplaying the life work of Malcolm or anyone else that, have, that, have, that, that saw injustice and just fought. I'm not downplaying his life work. But I have to say to you today, and when I look at the beauty in this room, and when my 11-year-old when my son looks at the beauty in his friend group, we're reminded of the dream that was proclaimed by the one who fought with love, not the one that fought with the sword. Why? Because the legacy of love will always outlive the strength of the sword. All day every time. Y'all, it's hard. If we're going to live this out, it's hard. But here's where I find my peace as I wrap this up. I'm done. Just a minute. I find my peace in this truth. That Jesus, here's what I love. Mike, here's what I love about Jesus. Is that Jesus never calls us to anything that he himself has not already walked out. Like, do you realize that? What kind of a king is going to come off of his throne and dwell amongst the people? He could have came in grand, he could have came in earth in a royal family in grandeur. There was no room for him when he was born. Isaiah wrote these words centuries before Jesus was even alive in the earth. Isaiah chapter 53, watch this. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down and we thought that his troubles were a punishment for God, a punishment for his own sins. But no, he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. He was oppressed and treated harshly. There are some of you here today, you have been oppressed and you have been treated harshly. So is Jesus. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter 
And as a sheep is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was unjustly condemned. Some of you have been condemned unjustly, but so was Jesus. He was led away, and no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. The king of creation buried like a criminal. Jesus' love was selfless. His love cost everything. But just a few verses later, we see the joy that was set before him. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Verse 11 says that when the father sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. The wrath of God will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all of their sins. He will bear all of my sin. He will bear all of your sin. He's not calling you to do something that he hasn't walked out himself. God is calling us to do the same. He's calling us to be a people of mercy. He's calling us to love in ways that don't seem possible. And watch me, and loving without any expectation. Now that's the hard part. That's a whole nother message. When I return your hate with kindness and yet you still remain in your state of anger and hate. And I know that there are times where God will cause the body of Christ to rise up in righteous indignation. There are going to be times where God will move his people to stand up and be a voice for those who don't have one. But as often as possible, God has called us to bridge the gap, to be a people who love. Because the reality is this, as long as you're on this side of eternity, offense will come. Some of y'all will be offended before you leave this campus today. I may have said something in this message that offended you. But guess what? When offense comes, we will respond. You will respond. But the question I want to leave with you today is how will you respond? How will you respond? Will you respond in retaliation? Or will your heart be set on reconciliation? Will you respond in anger? Or will you respond seeking understanding? Will you respond and react in revenge? Or will you respond in love? Because here's the deal, y'all. We can talk about Jesus till we're blue in the face. We can go to church every single Sunday and, and do the Christian thing that we do. But to the world around us, we look most like Jesus when we love like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You may be here today and say, well, I don't know how I can do that. You don't know how they hurt me, whoever they may be. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what I've been through. 
you're right, my friend, I don't. And the reality is that, that in this moment, I wish I had more time to do more ministry along those lines. Our prayer leaders are gonna be here in a moment. I encourage you, but the reality is that I don't know what you've been through. And I know that some of us may be carrying some deep wounds and some hurts. I, I know they hurt you. I know they hurt you. But the Bible says that God stores every single one of your tears in a jar. That means not one is wasted. And there could it very well be that the healing that you need is in you simply taking that one step towards forgiveness. But we cannot do that if Jesus is not Lord of our lives. We cannot do it without his spirit. So right now, if you're here today, and maybe you're not a believer, maybe you've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to count to three in a minute. If that's you, you're going to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you up front. I'm not going to make you stand. I just want to pray with you and lead you in a prayer that I know will change everything. So that's you today. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, the Bible tells us that there is a sin sickness that separates you from God. You and I, on our very best behavior, still fall short of his high standard. And we deserve to spend an eternity separated from God. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God so loved the world. Watch this. A world full of people who were angsty towards him. A world that was broken and fallen that God so loved this world that he sent his son to die in your place. You may have come into this house today as an enemy of God, but in an instant, you can be transformed into a child of God. If that's you and you say, I'm ready for grace, I'm ready for forgiveness, I'm ready for a second chance. If that's you, I'm gonna count to three and I want you just to lift your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it. If that's you, here it is, one, two, three. Lift that hand up high if that's you. I see those hands. I see that hand, sister. I see that hand. Man of God, I see that hand. I see him all over across this room. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And our Victory family, we're going to pray this prayer along with you. Come on, church. Let's open up our mouths. Say, God, it's me. You know who I am. I've broken your heart. And I've broken your law. I'm not a perfect person. But today I choose you. I believe you're the son of God. You died for my sin. You rose from the dead, and one day, I will spend eternity with you. But right now, I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Change my mind. I don't want to live the way I used to live. I don't want bitterness and unforgiveness and the trauma of yesterday to rob me of the life that you've promised me tomorrow, today. I love you and I thank you for who you are. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, give God a shout if you love him today.